Hey, Harbor family, I hope you had a great week this week. I had a really great week. It was a really powerful week, really meaningful week. And that's because I was at two different funerals this week. And I was talking to someone before first service who I told that to, and he was like, man, that, that must have been really a depressing week for you. And I said, no. This was one of the most uplifting weeks that I've had in a long time because both funerals that I was at this week were for women who passionately loved Jesus. Both women had this infectious joy in the Lord, even though both women were struggling with some really painful diseases that ultimately took both of their lives way too soon. And so at both of these services, we heard from this never-ending string of people who were just remembering, remembering how much strength and grace, the, the strength and grace of God that we saw through these two ladies. We were remembering God's goodness to them and remembering how God's goodness came to us through them. And that was so powerful for me because I'm just not naturally wired to remember. I'm the kind of guy that's always looking forward. Maybe some of you can identify with me. I'm always looking to the next thing, and I almost never just take time to pause and reflect on what's come before. Part of that has to do with the fact that I have a terrible memory. Anybody who knows me knows that my memory is awful. My short-term memory is particularly awful. And so this week, knowing that we're going to be talking about remembering, I thought, you know, maybe I should quantify that a little bit. I went online and I found this short-term memory test. Seemed pretty reputable, and so I gave it a try. I did the whole thing, and I came back with 70% of these things that I had remembered. I thought that was pretty good. I was pretty stoked with those results until it told me the average American adult has 90% memory. And then I realized, man, my memory really is terrible. Short-term and long-term. And guess what? That is really dangerous. That's dangerous for me because as you read scripture, you realize that one of the biggest enemies of faith is forgetfulness. One of the biggest enemies of faith is forgetfulness. You know that because you see this one word repeated all through the Bible. It's this word, remember. Remember. I did a quick search in the Bible and I found 150 places, more than 150, where God tells us to remember. Like, remember that you were slaved in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments that he uttered. Don't be afraid. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. It is so amazing how many times God has to remind us to remember. That's a really important discipline in life, especially when you come to the really important hinge moments in life. I know you've had these. You've had experiences in life that shaped you. You look back at those experiences and you're like, man, going through that changed me. I was one way before, now I'm a different way after. Maybe it was a really hard experience, like battling cancer. But when you came out the other side, you were stronger, you were tougher, you were more dependent on God. Maybe it was a really good experience. Maybe it was a trip that you took with your family and you saw God working in your family in a brand new way. And when that happened, you're like, man, this is amazing. I'm never gonna forget this. But guess what happened? Slowly over time, you did. And the significance of the event lost its power. Well, God doesn't want that to happen. And today, he's going to make sure that doesn't happen with the Israelites. So if you got your Bible, open to Joshua chapter 4. 
Joshua chapter four. If you don't have a Bible, there's black Bibles under the seat somewhere around you. You can grab one of those. Go about six books in, you'll find Joshua. Last week in Joshua, we saw the the Israelites experience God in a really powerful way. He delivered them across this raging river by miraculously stopping the river. He just shut off that river, kind of like you shut off your shower. Boop, just like that. Just turn the spigot and it was done. And so if you experience that, you would think that's something you would remember. But God knows the Israelites, they're just like us. They're forgetful people. And so God wants to make sure they remember this. So look at what it says in Joshua 4, starting in verse 1. Joshua 4.1, after the entire nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua, choose 12 men from the people, one man for each tribe, and command them, take 12 stones from this place in the middle of the Jordan where the priests are standing, carry them with you, and set them down at the place where you spend the night. There's going to be a physical memorial you're going to build, a tangible reminder of what I did for you here. These are 12 stones you got to put them on your shoulder. So we know these are not just little pebbles they're going to put in a stack. These are big stones they're carrying. So verse 4, Joshua summoned the 12 men he had selected from the Israelites, one man for each tribe. And he said to them, go across to the ark of the Lord your God in the middle of the Jordan. This is still while the river is stopped, the ark is standing in the middle on dry ground. And each of you should lift a stone onto his shoulder, one for each of the Israelite tribes, so that this will be a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean to you? You should tell them. The water of the Jordan was cut off. It just stopped in front of the Ark of the Lord's Covenant. When it crossed the Jordan, the Jordan's water was cut off. And so therefore, these stones will always be a memorial for the Israelites. God's going, I want you to just stop right now. Just just pause so you remember. That is something really hard for a lot of us to do, especially me. We get to one thing and then we're just ready to move on to the next thing. That's me. I mean, the Israelites, they've got a whole country to conquer. Getting across the Jordan, that's just the first step in about a thousand steps that they've still got to go. So, If it was me, I'd be like, hey, great, we got across the river. Now what's next? What's coming up? But God knows that if we'll just pause and commemorate and remember significant events in the past, that's what's going to strengthen us for the future. And we know this is something that he wants for all of us, for all of his people. That's why he had one man from every tribe of Israel take part in this. Every single person in Israel is represented here. Every single person can look at one of those men and have some kind of relationship. Watch that guy, your cousin's cousin's cousin, who you know through Auntie Becky, you know this is your opportunity to remember. The Israelites need to remember this. And so that's why God is having them build this memorial. He knows that we are visual people. And so we usually need something visual to help us remember to remember. They're going to see these stones and be like, oh, I was supposed to remember something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I remember. I remember what God did. We need those visual reminders. That's why we have wedding rings. Every time I officiate at a wedding, after the couple exchanges rings, I always have them look down at their rings and just consider the symbolism of these rings, because your ring is a symbol of so much in your marriage. It symbolizes purity in your relationship. It is 
made of precious refined metal. It symbolizes endurance in your relationship. This ring is not just gonna melt off your finger. It's gonna stay there for a while. My ring is stuck. I haven't been able to take it off for a decade, all right? It's not going anywhere. Your ring symbolizes an exchange of ownership. When you gave these rings to each other, you were saying, you are, I am yours and you are mine. The ring symbolizes never-ending love. It's a circle that never ends. And then most important of all, your ring symbolizes sacrifice. You didn't get these rings out of the claw machine at Fun Factory, right? You had to sacrifice. You had to give up a few paychecks to afford these rings. And so your ring is this visual reminder, a visual object that helps you remember deep truths. And so that's why God wants the Israelites to build this memorial. Take these 12 stones out of the middle of the Jordan River, set them up as a monument. It's so they will remember to remember the power and the provision of God. So it says in verse 8, the Israelites did just as Joshua had commanded them. The 12 men took stones from the middle of the Jordan, one for each of the Israelite tribes, just as the Lord had told Joshua. They carried them to the camp. They set them down there. And Joshua also set up 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing. Or another way to translate that is Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan and set them up as a memorial on the side of the Jordan. But look at what it says here. Those stones, they're still here today. And this is written decades after this happened. That memorial is still standing at this point which tells you something really significant here. If the Israelites have taken such good care of a pile of rocks, maintaining that monument, remembering that God did a miracle at the Jordan River, that means God probably wasn't doing miracles like that very often. I mean, when you read an Old Testament book, especially a book like Joshua, you can start to get the idea that God is doing miracles like this every single day. Part the Jordan, deliver Jericho. It's just boom, 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 boom. And so the idea that you can get in your head is, well, why doesn't God do stuff like this in my life? My life would be a lot easier if God would just stop this river, whatever that river is in your life. My faith would be a lot stronger if God just stopped that river. Well, here's the thing. God wants the Israelites to build memorials to remember miracles like this because it's not very often that he's doing miracles like this. I mean, before the Israelites left Egypt, God didn't do any miracles for 400 years. At least that's what I suspect because we know he didn't even speak for 400 years. So yes, sometimes, sometimes you'll get to see God do amazing miracles in your life. I've seen amazing miracles. But most time, most days, He just wants you to remember the miracles he's already done in your life and in the lives of people throughout history. Keep going in verse 10. The priests carrying the ark continued standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything was completed that the Lord had commanded Joshua to tell the people. In keeping with all that Moses had commanded Joshua, the people hurried across. And after everyone had finished crossing, the priests with the ark of the Lord crossed in the side of the people. The Reubenites, Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh went in battle formation in front of the Israelites as Moses had instructed them. About 40,000 equipped for war crossed to the plains of Jericho in the Lord's presence. Okay, so they are ready for battle. 
but they're not quite ready yet. God still wants them to pause and reflect and remember. Verse 14, on that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they revered him throughout his life as they had revered Moses. The Lord told Joshua, command the priests who carry the ark of the testimony to come up from the Jordan. And so Joshua commanded the priests, come up from the Jordan. And when the priests carrying the ark of the Lord's covenant came up from the middle of the Jordan, and their feet stepped out on solid ground, the water of the Jordan resumed its course. Boop, the river just turned back on, flowing over all the banks as before. Flood stage, raging river again. You know what that tells you? Beyond a shadow of a doubt, God is the one who accomplished this. God's the one who did this. If you ever took a religion class in college, you probably had a professor who would try and explain away miracles like this. Like, well, yeah, maybe the river stopped. Well, we know that the Jordan River has been stopped by earthquakes all the time that make the banks fall down and it dams up the river with boulders. We know that because we've seen it in history in 1267 and 1906 and 1927. So it was probably just an earthquake that dammed up the Jordan River for the Israelites to cross. You know what I say to that? Maybe so, but so what? So what? Maybe it was an earthquake that did it, but we know that God is the one who accomplished it. And the way that we know that it's God who did it is that the water stopped the minute their feet went in and the water started flowing the minute their feet came back out. God can use natural means to accomplish miraculous things. That doesn't mean he's any less omnipotent. He's the almighty God. Verse 19, the people came up from the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month and camped at Gilgal on the eastern limits of Jericho. Guess what? That's 40 years to the day since the first Passover when God took Israel out of Egypt. Then Joshua set up in Gilgal the 12 stones they had taken from the Jordan. And he said to the Israelites, in the future, when your children ask their fathers, what is the meaning of these stones? You should tell your children, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. Imagine taking your kids, taking your grandkids out to Gilgal to see that. Kids love seeing places that figure into the history of their family. At least my kids did, especially when they were young. They loved to see the hospitals where they were born. They loved even to see the house in Kailua where Cindy and I lived before any of them were born. And so I, I can just imagine taking my kids, especially when they were younger, out to Gilgal, just in the middle of the rainy season. The river is raging. Pointing to that river going, kids, you see that raging river? God stopped that river in an instant. We walked across on dry ground. And, and you see these 12 stones over here? See this pile? We took those stones out of the middle of this river. Can you believe that? The kids be like, wow, it's amazing. But yeah, God is good and great and glorious and gracious. And we got to remember that. We got to remember that. And here's why we got to remember Here's what remembering does for us. Look at verse 23. For the Lord your God dried up the water of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over, just as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over. 
This is so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord's hand is strong and so that you may always fear the Lord your God. Do you notice two words that Joshua keeps repeating? Your God. Three times in two verses. Your God dried up the Jordan, just like your God parted the Red Sea. He is your God, and that's never going to change. He delivered you across the Jordan River, just like he delivered you across the Red Sea, because he is always going to deliver you. He's never going to stop delivering you. He's never going to stop providing for you. He's never going to stop protecting you. He is always going to be faithful to you. And that's why you can have courage. That's a big reason why God wants us to remember the things that he's done. Why remember? Number one, because remembering gives you courage. Remembering gives you courage. And that is exactly what the Israelites need right at this moment. Because they've got a long, hard road coming up. They're going to face battle after battle after battle. And some of those battles will be easy, like the Battle of Jericho. But some of those battles are going to be really hard. And so they're going to need to keep coming back to Gilgal, looking at those stones and remembering. Remembering how God has been faithful in the past. And so we have no reason to doubt he's going to be faithful in the future. That's what gives you courage. I don't know about you, I need courage. There's things in my future that I'm just not sure about. I need courage all the time. And so a great way to build courage is to build milestones in life. Just remember how God has been faithful every mile of your life. We're good at this with our kids. Most of us are really good at commemorating milestones in our kids' lives. Like when they're born, they're going to be in a thousand pictures, at least the first kid. By our fourth kid, I think we had one picture of her. Maybe. I don't even know. It's probably out there somewhere. We're usually pretty good at commemorating their birth. And then when they take their first step, we're going to make sure that's on video, right? Okay, now do it again. Do it again. On their first day of school, we're going to dress them all up. On their last day of school, graduation, they're going to have three feet of lace stacked up on their necks, just smothering them to death. We are really good at commemorating milestones in our kids' lives. But how much do we pay attention to the milestones in our own lives? The new job you started. The big ambition that you achieved. The treatment that you finished the wedding of the child that you got to dance at, the newborn grandchild that you got to hold in your hands. Life is full of really big and really small milestones. And they're a really good opportunity to celebrate God's faithfulness and remember God's faithfulness. So wouldn't it be great if all of us, and I'm preaching to myself here more than any of you, wouldn't it be great if all of us would get better at commemorating all of life's milestones. So how could we do that? How do you create milestones in life? Well, first, you gotta notice them. You gotta pay attention to these hinge moments that are in your life, the times when God showed up in big ways or small ways, the, the events that changed you in big ways and small ways. Name them, take note of them. And then number two, reflect on them. Pause and reflect on where you were before that event and where you are now, after it. What did God do in that hinge moment? 
Reflect on his goodness and faithfulness and praise him for it. And then third, build on them. Use that milestone in life to propel you to the next milestone in life. Let it build courage in you so you can keep moving forward in life. That's why we remember. That's why we remember, because it gives us courage. And then also, because remembering makes us holy. It makes us more faithful to God. That's what Joshua said in verse 24. Build this memorial so that you may always fear the Lord your God. Remember what he has done. Because, bro, if it weren't for the Lord your God, you would still be slaves in Egypt. If it weren't for the Lord your God, you would still be stuck in the wilderness, wandering around. If it weren't for the Lord your God, you would still be stuck on the other side of the Jordan. God has proven over and over that he's faithful to you, so why wouldn't you be faithful to him? That's all that it means to fear God. That's what the fear of God really is, just to be so in awe of his glory and his goodness and his grace that you love him and you trust him and you obey him with all your heart. To be so grateful for his faithfulness to you that you just passionately want to be faithful to him. That's the idea that Paul gives us in Ephesians 5. Look what Paul said. Immorality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard of among you, as is proper for saints. Obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather thankfulness. Thankfulness. And I was pretty surprised the first time I read this. After this big, long list of sins, I thought it would say something like, rather there should be righteousness. Rather, there should be holiness. That's what I was expecting. But God wants to go a little deeper than that. He knows our hearts. And he knows that the reason why we are immoral and impure and greedy is because we think we deserve certain things in life and we don't think God has given them to us. We think we deserve certain things in life and we don't think God has given them to us. We think we deserve pleasure And so we'll grab it in immoral and impure ways. We think we deserve comfort. And so we'll get greedy and grab things that'll make us more comfortable and secure in life. We're not thankful for the things that God's already given us. Family, God is a father who loves to give good gifts. He loves to give good gifts. And if we were thankful for those gifts, we wouldn't feel the need to grab more. We'd be like, man, God has given me everything I need. Why would I turn my back on him for a few more trinkets and toys? For a few more pleasurable experiences? For a few more commas in my bank account? One comma on that bank statement is not enough. I need multiple commas going on there. No, God has given you more than enough. And so when you're tempted, when you're facing temptation, Remember God's goodness. Be thankful for God's goodness. Remembering makes you holy. And then third, remembering makes you missional. It makes you a missionary, basically. Because when we remember God's goodness and glory and grace, we just really have no other choice but to proclaim. We just can't stop ourselves from proclaiming his goodness and glory and grace. That's what Joshua said in verse 24. Build this memorial so that all the peoples of the earth, all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord's hand is strong. 
When other people from other nations, other tribes walk past this place and they see these stones and they're like, yo, what's up with these stones? You can tell them. Tell them about God's majesty and power. Tell them about his goodness and his love. You can tell them the whole story of what God did here. And guess what? It still works the same way today. If you're looking for a way to share Jesus with your one more, you're trying to find ways to talk about Jesus, well, there's no better way than to talk about the milestones in your life where you've really seen Jesus at work in your life. Tell them about the power of Jesus. Tell them about the provision of Jesus that you've seen in your own life. We've got to be telling people about the goodness and grace and glory of Jesus. And that starts with our kids. You saw that repeated twice in this chapter. Tell your children. Tell your children. We got to build memorials to God's goodness in our families. I, don't know, I guess you could put a pile of rocks in the middle of your living room. You could try that. I don't know if that'll work, but there's a lot of other creative ways that you can build memorials. Here's three ideas for building memorials to God's goodness with your kids. First, plan special trips. Like in our family, either Sydney or I will take each one of our kids on a trip the summer before their freshman year. And we'll just have a lot of fun together. And then we'll remember God's goodness together that they've seen during these 14 years of their life. And we'll remember how God is going to be faithful for every year to come. Or here's another idea. Create special objects. Maybe it's a gift that you give to each one of your kids. Maybe a Bible where you've scribbled in some of your favorite verses in there. Or here's another idea. Make special moments. Get the whole family together on the sofa and airplay all your family photos and videos onto the TV and just laugh and cry together to see what God has done. Or do a night at the museum. Bring your family around the house and look at some of the objects that have been passed down from earlier generations and make sure that you are just remembering God's faithfulness to every generation and to your family through all the years. That's the kind of memorials we all need in life. And that's the kind of memorial that God has given us to celebrate every single Sunday. Because here's the reality, family. We were standing in front of a river. We were standing in front of a river raging river that we couldn't cross. The river of our sin that was separating us from a relationship with God. There was no way we could make it across. And so God miraculously made a way when he sent his son to live a perfect life so he could give us his righteousness and then die a brutal death so he could take away our sin and then gloriously rise from the grave so he could give us new life. Jesus went ahead of us just like the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of the Israelites. He made a way across that river. And God has given us a memorial to remember it. We call it communion. It's a visual way to remember really significant truths. It's this tangible experience of the spiritual reality of our salvation. So if you've put your trust in Jesus as your savior, as your king, we wanna invite you in the next few moments to remember. Don't let communion just become a dry, boring ritual. We cannot allow that to happen. Just because we do it every week doesn't mean it's the same every week. 
Every week, I'm searching my heart to find new reasons to praise Jesus. I'm remembering my week and thinking about new ways that I've seen his glory and goodness and grace in my life and in my family's life and in the life of this church, in the world around me. Communion should be a really powerful reminder to remember. This is not a ritual. This is a tangible experience, a physical reminder to remember the goodness and glory and grace of God in your life through Jesus Christ. And guess what? When you approach communion that way every week, that'll give you courage. I don't know what you're facing this week. Could be a surgery. Could be a really stressful thing at work. Could be some conflict in your family. Remembering God's goodness in the past through the gift of his son will give you courage for the week ahead. It'll make you holy. I don't know what sin you're struggling with this week. What sin you've been trying to kill and you just haven't been able to. Well, remembering God's goodness will help you remember that he has power over everything, including every sin that you wrestle with. And then remembering will make you missional. Because you can't reflect on God's goodness in your life without wanting to tell somebody about that goodness in your life. You can't go to the Grand Canyon along with somebody else and not say, whoa, can you believe this? You just have to express amazement at the wonders that you see in front of you. That's why we have communion, so that we remember God's goodness to us and then proclaim it to the world around us. So let's bow our heads right now and prepare for that. Father, you've been so good to us. You did not spare your own son, but gave him up for us all. How will you not also with him give us everything else in life? We're floored by the goodness and grace and glory that we've seen through the gift of your son, and then even more through all of the ways that you've showed up in our lives every single day since. We're forgetful people. So Lord, help us to remember. Help us to remember your goodness so that it can transform our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. We get to put that into practice right now.